Well, Philippians chapter number one is where we'll be to this morning. And we're going to continue our series, Rejoice in the Lord. Next Sunday, we're actually going to get to the first time the word rejoice is found in the book of Philippians. So you'll definitely want to come back next week if you can. Um, as you're finding Philippians chapter 1, if you would join me in standing, and we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense, Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for the freedom to do so. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow spiritually this morning. Lord, that is, I believe, your desire and Paul's desire in this passage for the church at Philippi. And, and Lord, now it's I, my desire for our church family to grow in these same areas. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us and, and uh, direct our thoughts towards you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, a little over seven months ago, we met together in the fellowship hall at the beginning of January on a Sunday evening for our vision banquet. During that time, I shared several priorities that we wanted to focus on as a church in the year 2019. And if you recall, for those who were there, our first priority was on spiritual growth. I mentioned during that portion that if spiritual growth was the only thing that took place in our church during 2019, that I would be grateful and pleased. And I, and I said that I believe God would be as well. Well, one area of spiritual growth that I want to challenge us to grow in is in the area of our, is our prayer life. Uh, we're told over and over in the Bible to pray for one another. Uh, James 5 and verse 16, James says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23 uh, it says, uh, Samuel said, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Uh, interesting that he would say that. Uh, he said, I don't want to sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. It was uh, Robert E. Lee who said this, Knowing that intercessory prayer is our mightiest weapon and the supreme call for all Christians today, I pleadingly urge our people everywhere to pray. He goes on to say, believing that prayer is the greatest contribution that our people can make in this critical hour, I humbly urge that we take time to pray, to really pray. Let there be prayer at sunup, at noonday, at sundown, at midnight, all through the day. Let us all pray for our children, our youth, our aged, our pastors, our homes. Let us pray for our churches. Let us pray for ourselves that we may not lose the word concern out of our Christian vocabulary. Let us pray for our nation. Let us pray for those who have never known Jesus Christ and the redeeming love that He offers. 
for moral forces everywhere, for our national leaders. Let prayer be our passion and let prayer be our practice. Oh, it's not earth-shattering news this morning that God wants us to pray for one another. I, I suppose if most, if not everyone in here, already knew that we are to pray for one another. But knowing that we should pray for one another and actually praying for one another are two totally different things, aren't they? So this morning, let me ask you, how is your prayer life for one another? How are you doing in that area? All right, so we know that we are to pray for one another, but what what are we to pray for? I mean, are you ever at a loss for what specifically to pray for when praying for someone else? Or is it just simply like, Lord, bless so-and-so, and and bless so-and-so, and and bless so-and-so? Not that those are bad prayers, but um, I believe we need to be a little more specific in our prayers. What if we were to be able to hear from an expert on how to pray for one another. Well, I'm excited to announce to you that this morning you are going to hear from a prayer expert. And if you're thinking, I didn't know you were a prayer expert, you would be right. You did, I'm not a prayer expert. <laughs> we're not going to be hearing from me so much as we're going to be hearing from the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul was a mighty prayer warrior. Paul knew how to pray and And not just how to pray, but what to pray for. You see, he writes most of his epistles. He often mentioned that he lifted that particular assembly up in his prayers. Philippians 1, in case in point, in this this epistle, as he opens it, uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago in verse number 4. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. But when he prayed for these different churches, he didn't just simply say, Lord, please bless the church at Philippi. You see, he was much more specific and thorough. And today we're going to look at uh, his prayer list that he had for this church, this special church family uh, in his life. And my hope and prayer is that we're going to hopefully glean some things that that will help us to grow in our own prayer life. Now, notice with me this morning three major prayer requests on his prayer list for the Philippian church family and and, uh, requests that hopefully we will, from here on out, start praying one for another. First of all, Paul prayed for their devotion to Christ. In verse number uh, 9, he says, This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Well, it's interesting to note that when he prayed for this church family, the very first thing he prayed for wasn't that they would grow in number. It wasn't that they would necessarily be good, effective witnesses. Oh, don't get me wrong. These are good prayer requests. These are things we ought to be praying for. But the first item on Paul's prayer list was concerning their relationship to Christ and to one another. Their devotion to Christ. And notice here, first of all, the increase of love here in verse number 9. I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. You see, we are to grow in our love for God and for one another. This is a great prayer request to pray for one another. Lord, bless the church at, 
at the Cornerstone Baptist Church of Moore and, and help them to grow in their love more and more for God and for one another. I'll never forget when uh, I told my dad for the first time that I loved a special young lady named Julie. He asked me about my relationship with her, and I said, I said, I really, really care for her. And he said, Eric, do you love her? And I said, Dad, I do. I do love her. At that point, we'd been dating for not even a year. And he said, uh, he said, well, that's interesting that you say that you love her. How long have you known her? And I said, well, less than a year. Huh. And you love her, huh? And I said, I do love her, Dad. I'm going to marry her probably. Okay, good. And then he went on to share with me some fatherly wisdom that has stuck in my mind ever since. He said, Eric, you think you love her now. And I thought I loved your mom before we got married, but all those years later, after years of marriage and the trials and the mountaintops and the valleys and, and uh, children come and you're going to really understand what love is as time goes on. Because 10 years after we've been married, Eric, I really loved her. And I thought back to the time when, before we got married when I thought I loved her. And yes, I had the ooey-gooey, gushy, googly eyes for her. And I still, do, I still did, but that love had deepened and, and grown. And you know, that's kind of a picture of what it's like in the Christian life. You know, when you first got saved, you remember those days when everything was fresh, everything was new, and you were just learning all of these things, maybe singing some of these hymns for the very first time, and, and, uh, and opening and reading God's Word, and hearing preaching, and all these things were new and so precious. Hopefully, as time goes on, they become more and more precious. And that love grows and deepens. There's a, there's a story that I read about. Her name is, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, but Chang Jung Feng says her wedding day was the happiest day of her life, and she never wanted it to end. So to keep it going, she decided that she would wed, wear her wedding dress every day of her married life. Now, to this day, she has been married for 15 years. Now, called Sister Wedding Gown by her neighbors and friends, she actually has several wedding gowns which she rotates in and out of her wardrobe. That's a little comforting to know. Even wearing them, though, when she works in the field, she believes they represent how happy and fortunate she feels to have found her husband. Bridal Guide reports this. Her wedding day was especially meaningful because it wasn't just a celebration of love. It was a celebration of her freedom. Originally from uh, Jaimo, China, and I don't know that I'm saying that correct. She was kidnapped at the age of 18, sold as a slave, and forced to marry an elderly man in another town. It took 15 years until she could escape to another village where she was helped by a local woman. When she later met the woman's brother, the two immediately hit it off. I had only ever known a violent and abusive man, she said, 
And I avoided men until I met my new partner who brought me truly out of my shell and treated me so differently. I couldn't believe it when he asked me to marry him, she said. We felt comfortable with each other, so we have been together since then. I'm very happy now as my husband is very good to me. What a beautiful way for a bride to express her gratitude and deep love for her groom, isn't it? Was the bride of Christ, we should feel no less wonder and appreciation for having found our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Once we lived in bondage, but have been rescued and redeemed to live in the life of freedom of His love. May we wear the joy that we have found in Him every day for the whole world to see and to increase in that love as as the days go on. It was Jude who encouraged his readers to keep yourselves in the love of God. The idea here is not that we would stay in His good graces and work to keep our salvation. No, as we mentioned a few moments ago in the announcements, He does the keeping of our salvation. Once we're saved, we're always saved. He seals us and keeps us. But the idea here is for us to stay in love with God. Just like a husband and a wife should work and invest in their relationship and marriage, uh, we in our relationship with God need to do what we can to stay in His Word and stay in fellowship with Him through prayer to keep that love and those those fires of love burning uh, between us and our Lord. When you consider the uh, the fruit of the Spirit there in Galatians chapter number 5, can somebody please tell me what the first fruit there that is in that list of nine. Anybody know? Love is the first one mentioned. Uh, That should be a natural byproduct of us being in Christ is is love. By the way, the one way that others will know that we're His disciples is by the love that we have for one another. So uh, we are to grow in love and increase in love, but also we see here Next, that not only the increase of love, but the boundaries of love. Look again in verse number 9. Here, Paul's prayer for this church is that their love may abound yet more and more. But it goes on to say, in knowledge and in judgment, in all judgment. While we are to grow in love, it is to be within the boundaries of this knowledge and judgment. Look, we're not to love with only mere emotion. It should be filtered through knowledge and judgment. Albert Barnes, as he uh, tries to explain this uh, concept here, he, he defines these two words, knowledge and judgment. Knowledge here, it means it should not be mere blind aff- affection, but that intelligent love which is based on an enlarged view of divine things. So not just blind love. Someone who said love is blind I get what they're saying. But the idea here as believers is we're not just to just love and just let it flow out without any type of parameters. There are some parameters and some boundaries that we're to have here in our Christian life. This is a a call to spiritual maturity. I know that uh, love is a big thing, and people view Christians as we're supposed to be all loving, aren't we? And yes, we are. But here Paul is encouraging us that, look, our love isn't just supposed to go to 
every which direction. It's to be within the boundaries of this knowledge and judgment. Judgment means, according to Albert Barnes, uh, that Paul wished that their love should be exercised with proper discrimination. So here we have two words that are not very popular in our culture today, right? Judgment and discrimination. Boy, those are taboo, aren't they? Uh, We don't want to judge anyone. We don't want to be discriminatory towards anything or anyone. And yet here, uh, as we grow in Christ, as we're growing spiritually, that love that we have is not just going in every which way. It's going to uh, be within the parameters of knowledge and judgment. Uh, For example, a, a parent who truly loves his child in knowledge and in judgment will not give him his every wish. I suppose if Mark had his way, he would have candy for breakfast, candy for lunch, and we're going to change it a little, change it up a little bit and have ice cream for dinner. That would be his diet, wouldn't it? That would probably be Luke's too, but um, no. Ice cream for all meals. Okay, there we go. I stand corrected on Luke, but... Uh, that's what they would probably want if it was up to them, right? But because we love them, it's and, and we know that it's not healthy for them to have a constant diet of that, we're going to limit their intake of some of that. We probably should limit it a little more than we do. But <laughs> um, and, uh, and, a, and a loving parent also is not going to withhold rebuke and discipline. A loving parent, in fact, the Bible says, if you don't discipline your child, you hate your child. And so love is within, a true love is always within the parameters and boundaries of knowledge and judgment. And again, spiritual maturity here. The immature Christian may not understand this because, hey, aren't we just supposed to love everyone and love everything? Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, God, by, by the way, the Bible does talk about how God does hate some things. And in order for him to really, his love to really mean something, he has to hate some things as well. And as a Christians, we need to understand that. And, and that's what Paul's first prayer request was, is that this church uh, would, in their devotion for God and their devotion towards others, uh, their, their love would increase and their love would, would be within those boundaries of knowledge and judgment. So that was the first prayer request. Secondly, Uh, Notice here that Paul prayed for their discernment in Christ. Verse number 10, Paul said, Another thing I want to pray for, Lord, regarding this church, is that that they would approve things that are excellent. That they would approve things that are excellent. A couple parts that I want to point out here under this is, uh, first of all, we see here that testing matters. Verse number 10, he says, that you may approve things. God wants us to approve some things in our lives and not just to accept everything that comes into our lives as okay, but to put a filter on some things that come into our life. And not just hook, line, and sinker, believe everything that uh, is going on. And it is worth the effort and investment of time to filter everything in our lives through the Word of God. Paul told the Ephesians to uh, prove some things. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 8, 
For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So here we're called again to prove or to approve things uh, and making sure that they're acceptable unto the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul says, Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. So again, we're to have a spiritual mind when it comes to the things, the relationships, all the things that come into our lives. We're not just to go, well, that's nice, but we're to approve them and test them. And testing does matter. And Jay Stoll in his book, Fan the Flame, in 1986, wrote this, Discernment in Scripture is the skill that enables us to differentiate. It is the ability to see issues clearly, and we desperately need to cultivate the spiritual skill that will enable us to know right from wrong. We must be prepared to distinguish light from darkness, truth from error, best from better, and righteousness from unrighteousness, purity from defilement, and principles from pragmatics. So the idea is that we need to develop the skill of discernment in our Christian lives. And I know that uh, some people are a little more discerning than others. And, and uh, I know my wife has a lot more discernment sometimes than I do in certain things and call it women's intuition. Um, I don't know what it is, but the Lord has placed some discernment in her life that I don't quite have. But this is a skill that whether you have it naturally or you don't, is a skill that God wants us all to develop and, and work on in our lives. That we're not going to just accept everything as truth. I think about the uh, Bereans back in the book of Acts. It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Here's what they were doing. They were, they were approving things that are excellent. They were being discernment, or they were being discerning when it came to the preaching that they were hearing. See, these Bereans didn't just accept everything they heard as truth. No, they, they tested and tried it with the Word of God. In other words, God doesn't want His children to be gullible. He wants us to approve things. He wants us to be spiritually discerning. And that includes the preaching from this pulpit, by the way. Boy, I hope and I pray and it is my desire and I strive to make sure that what comes forth from this, from this pulpit is indeed the Word of God. But there is a potential, certainly, for me to say things that are in error. I hope that it doesn't happen. I try not to make it happen. But I want you to check what I'm saying with the Word of God. I want you to be spiritually discerned and spiritually mature enough to where you're discerning what's being said and making sure that it is accurate and true and lines up with the Word of God itself. So it includes the preaching from this pulpit. It includes the doctrine that a church holds to. And we need to test those things and not just accept them because we like the people in the church. And because we've got friends there, we need to make sure that the doctrines that it holds to are accurate and true. But it also includes the entertainment we consume. Being discerning regarding what we consume with our eyes and with our ears. 
And not just saying, well, everyone else is watching this. Everyone else has seen this. I better see it too. But making sure that we are spiritually discerning and that we are approving things that are excellent. It also includes the relationships in our lives. It includes how we steward our time and treasure. And really every area of our lives we should take the time to approve, to test and be sure that they are indeed pleasing to God. So testing does matter. And then also here we see that quality matters. In verse number 10, approve things that are excellent. Paul's prayer that these was that these believers would not just discern between the good and the bad, right and the wrong, true and false, but also between the good and the best. You see, this is a, this is a prayer for Christian maturity where we're kind of saying no to the things that are just good enough and saying, I want to please my Lord and approve things that are excellent in my life. You see, immature Christians are content with the good, but mature Christians are seeking the best, the excellent. You may have heard the saying, good is the enemy of the best. And I believe that's, the, that's, that's true. We as believers should not settle for the good when God has instructed us to approve things that are excellent. And so again, as we kind of take inventory of our lives, going through that process of, of approving things that are excellent. And that was Paul's prayer request for the church at Philippi. By the way, that's a good prayer request for us to have for one another. Lord, help them and help us as a church family to grow in this area where we are discerning and we're willing to take inventory and we're willing to look at every area of our life the things that are visible and the things that maybe only we know about. Lord, are they excellent? Do they line up with you and your word? So his prayer request was for their discernment in Christ. But then thirdly here, I want us to see Paul's third prayer request, and he prayed for their display of Christ. In verse number 10, again, at the beginning, the beginning of that verse says that you may approve things that are excellent and that ye may be sincere. And without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ and the glory and praise of God. So here we see he, he, he's praying for their display, their, their, really their life in front of others. And here's a couple uh, things that in the, under that that, uh, that we see him kind of focus in on. First of all, he says to be sincere, that they would be sincere and um, and you read here in verse number 10, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And that, when we talk about the word sincere in our vernacular, it means that you really mean what you're saying. Uh, you really, you're genuine, you mean it. But the English word sincere comes from two Latin words, sine, which means without, and sera, which means wax, so without wax. I'll explain. In the ancient world, dishonest merchants would use wax to hide defects in their products. It was the superglue of yesteryear. <laughs> it was the duct tape of yesteryear, okay? For those of us in the South who use more duct tape than superglue. 
But uh, it would, uh, this wax would hide defects such as cracks in their pottery so that they could sell their merchandise at a higher price and no one would notice until, of course, the, that, that piece of pottery was left out in the sun and that, that sun would melt that wax and it would show the crack and maybe even the, the piece of pottery would even fall apart. So more reputable merchants would hang a sign over their pottery in their shops and it said, Sincera or in other words, without wax, to inform customers that their merchandise was the genuine deal, that there were no defects, that it was the real McCoy, that they had not tried to hide anything about their products. So God wants us to to live without wax as well, to not live and be Academy Award-winning Christians. Right? When you get to church, it's like, okay, we, we, we look right, and okay, we've got to put on the smile, and hey, brother, hey, sister, how's everything going? Oh, just wonderful, just dandy. When the truth is, just five minutes before you got to church, you and your spouse were having a real bad argument. And, uh, and uh, at home, you're, you're involved in things that you shouldn't be involved in. God wants us to live a, a sincere, genuine Christian life that what you see is really what you get. Not pretend Christianity that we're plastic and uh, we're just putting on a show to impress everyone else. Look, you're not impressing the Lord, obviously. He knows. And uh, if you recall, Jesus, the, the lowly shepherd, the lowly savior, he, he, his sharpest words were to those who tried to put on a show who cleansed the out exterior of the cup, right? And inside were full of dead men's bones and extortion and excess. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, Paul says this, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also... He told Timothy, look, your faith that is in you is real, it's genuine, it's without wax. It's sincere. And it's true. That's the type of faith we need to have as well. Look, if you're planning a vacation in Zambia, I want to encourage you to beware of the street corner emerald vendors. And if you're driving, be prepared for some confusion in the streets as well due to stolen traffic lights. Well, what do these have in common? Well, these are actually related. The traffic light thieves are selling the green glass chips to unsuspecting tourists who think they're getting bargain basement emeralds. We need to be careful that we're not trying to put on a show and sell ourselves to this world as being genuine when we're really not. And that was one of Paul's prayers for the Philippians, is they would be sincere, without wax, genuine, the real McCoy. Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned or real or genuine love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Oh yeah, we live in a day where fake news is everywhere. It's hard to know what to believe. 
But as people watch our lives, the lives of those who go to Cornerstone Baptist Church, I hope and pray that they see a real, genuine love for God and for others. So be sincere is uh, one of the parts in which we display Christ. Secondly, he says here to be blameless. Verse number 10 again, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Be blameless. Uh, He says here without offense, and sometimes it's hard not to offend someone when we're trying to display a life for the Lord. Um, We're going to perhaps offend those. In fact, uh, we're promised that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution because our lives are perhaps offensive in their minds. But the idea here is that we would be blameless, that there would be nothing that someone could point to in our life that said, look, they're inconsistent. I know that all those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites because look what they did. God wants us to be blameless. And this isn't just a requirement for those in ministry. This is a desire that God has for all of His people. For 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. This isn't to say that none, all of us are going to be perfect. In fact, none of us are going to be. But we need to strive to not give Christ a black eye by the way we live. And there has been many who have done that. And I pray that that would not be the case with anyone in our church. And that's what Paul was praying for, for the Philippians as well. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, Paul says to that church, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit and your soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blameless. Live in such a way that no one could open up the skeleton closet and find any. Uh, I feel bad for the politicians today, and we're about to come into another, well, we already started a new election cycle here with the presidential election taking place in a year and a half or so. That's always a fun time, isn't it? The media is so nice and kind to all these politicians. Why? What happens? They, they try to dive into their past and to pull out all the skeletons they possibly can. I don't envy any of those politicians, good or bad, because how I wouldn't want that to happen. But if that happened to you, what would they find? I know we all have some things in our past that we regret and that we wish weren't there. But going forward, let's not keep adding to the skeletons in the closet. You remember Daniel? Remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 and and how those people really didn't like him, and they thought, let's, let's dig. Let's go check his Facebook account. Let's go ask all of his high school friends and find out who he really was. Well, when they did, they couldn't find anything. He was blameless. So they had to come up with this new law that uh, hindered him from praying. He wasn't about to do that. He was blameless. And certainly that's the desire God has for us as well. So be sincere, be blameless. And then I see here that we are encouraged and prayed for to be faithful. Verse number 10 again, that you may be sincere and without offense 
till the day of Christ. Till the day of Christ is a reference to the rapture of the church when Jesus is going to come and rescue us out of this world. And then uh, ushering in the uh, tribulation period after that. Till the day of Christ. Will you be faithful until that day? Until the Lord calls you home, either through the upper taker or the undertaker. One of the two, of course, I, I hope for the upper taker. That's who I'm hoping for. But am I going to be faithful until the end? Paul said, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Hanging in there until the end. And it was Jesus. And talking to his disciples, he said, uh, he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. And that's God's command for us is to stay faithful till he comes back for us. Will he find us faithful if he were to come today? And if he were to come 25 years from now, will he still find us faithful doing what we're supposed to be doing and growing in him? I hope that God says to me one day, well done, thou good and faithful servants. But it's only going to happen is if we're faithful till the day of Christ. In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe Pioneer 10 into space. According to Leon Jaroff in Time magazine, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and beam data down to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, radiation belts, and atmosphere. Well, scientists regarded this as a bold plan, for at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars. And they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it could even reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission, and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planet in November of 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At two billion miles, it hurled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly three billion miles. And then Pluto at almost four billion miles. By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than 6 billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps most remarkable, writes Jeroff, those signals emanate from an 8-watt transmitter which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and takes more than nine hours to reach Earth. Unbelievable. The little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer with a useful life of just three years, but it kept going and going. I mean, this is the original Energizer Bunny. By simple longevity, its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anyone thought possible. And so it is when we offer ourselves to serve the Lord. God can work even through someone with 8-watt abilities. And I'm certainly maybe not even that. But God cannot work, though, through someone who maybe has much more ability who decides to quit. 
And I want to encourage us, no matter how talented we think we are, no matter how, uh, how uh, effective we think we are, to just stay in the fight, to stay in the battle, to never give up, to never quit. Because he can't use us if we quit. So he encouraged and he was praying that this church would be faithful till the day of Christ. And then lastly here, the last part of this prayer request is that they would be fruitful. Verse number 11 here, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ and the glory and praise of God. He desired that they would be fruitful. You know, as Christians, we are going to be fruitful. But what kind of fruit are we going to produce? John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So if we want to bear the right type of fruit, the only way we're going to do that is if we're abiding in the vine. An orange tree is not going to produce orange, or an orange branch is not going to produce orange unless it's connected to the trunk of that orange tree. Same thing is true in my Christian life. If I'm not attached to the vine and I'm not abiding in Him and He in me, then I'm not going to produce the right type of fruit. I'm telling you, when uh, life is going to squeeze you and something is going to come out, if I were to take a, an orange and, and squeeze it, what's going to come out? Orange juice is going to come out because that's what's inside. When life squeezes you and it's going to squeeze you, the pressures of life are going to uh, squeeze, your, squeeze you, and when it does, what's going to come out? The fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh? When you're going through a stressful time, what's going to come out? Joy? Love? Meekness? Temperance? Long-suffering? Or are you going to throw a temper tantrum because your, your life is just so difficult? What, what, what comes out when the pressure comes? When temptation comes, what comes out? Does, does temperance come out and self-control and, and a, a willingness to say no to the temptation? Or is it, this temptation is too strong for me, I have to yield. What's going to come out of you? God wants us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. So we are to be fruitful in our Christian life. Some amazing prayer requests that Paul has for the church at Philippi and some lessons that we can certainly apply to our Christian lives. Now, it would be wise for us to take that same prayer list that we just went through and apply it to one another here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. And so I want to encourage us to be faithful to hold each other up in prayer by praying for our devotion to Christ. And that our love for Him would increase within the boundaries of knowledge and judgment. That's a great prayer request. And by the way, one that, since I've been studying this, I've been praying for our church family. That our love would grow and abound towards the Lord and towards one another. But again, within these parameters. And then also praying for our discernment in Christ and that all of us would be willing to filter everything in our lives through the Word of God. 
to go through our music collection, to go through our, our, uh, our, our, queue, our Netflix queue. I think that's what it's called. To go through our viewing habits online. To look at our relationships and who we spend a lot of time with. And asking, Does, is this an excellent thing in my life? Does this line up with God, God's word? And is this something that's pleasing to him? That's a great prayer request. Again, a prayer for spiritual maturity is what God is, or what Paul was praying for in this church family. And then also uh, praying for our display of Christ that we would be sincere, not fake plastic Christians, but that we would be real and genuine, heartfelt, and that we would be blameless, that we would not uh, uh, put a black eye on Christianity that we'd be faithful until the day of Christ and fruitful in our lives. I would encourage you to adopt the same prayer list for me and for our church family as well. And then we can also be the answer to some of these prayer requests by taking heed to some of these, uh, some of these items as well. Let's, uh, let's have prayer together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this prayer list that Paul had. Lord, uh, an expert on prayer for sure. And uh, a real good model prayer for us to pray for our church family. Help us, Lord, to grow in our devotion for you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our discernment and uh, to be willing to test things in our lives and not just accept everything that comes into our lives as being okay, but to have some spiritual maturity in our discernments and then also in our display of Christ in our lives. Help us, Lord, to really be sincere, to not just put wax in our lives to cover up who we really are. Help us, Lord, to be genuine and real. Help us, Lord, to be uh, faithful and without blame. Help us, Lord, to be fruitful as well. Lord, some tremendous things to adopt for our own prayer list for our church family. Help us, Lord, to apply these truths to our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.